All right, well, this morning, Shield's a hard act to follow, by the way, but this morning, we're going to continue, and we're going to turn to Nehemiah, so I'll give you time to turn to Nehemiah as we learn through chapter 8 as you get into the book of Nehemiah, and I truly hope that you did have an enjoyable Thanksgiving. We talked earlier about the things we experienced in the great atmosphere at East Gibson Fire Station, which is a great gathering for everyone, and it was just a great day to be able to celebrate and just to help share Thanksgiving with neighbors and friends and family. But as much as we had a chance then to celebrate Thanksgiving, whether you did it with us at the East Gibson Fire Station or whether you did it with family and friends at your home or whether you traveled somewhere, nonetheless, it's just a wonderful opportunity to have, if you will, listen, an extended weekend, right? I had a very extended weekend i get four days off from school now the kids got five because they get wednesday i still have to work at the school on wednesday although i did get a chance to get off wednesday afternoon but it's still just an enjoyable time to get an extended vacation or an extended time an extended weekend away from work and doing other things i mean the the whole idea if you will of having a four it happens so rarely it's so seldom that you get four days off in a row like that unless you got some vacation time. But an extended weekend like that, just a mere, just, just the thought of that can bring you sheer joy. It's just joyous knowing you got an extended weekend. Kimberly, wasn't it nice to know you had four days or five days away from the kids? I mean, a chance to get away a little bit, enjoy some things. She teaches at the school, so the genie. So we, if you're a teacher, you probably got five days. Did you get five days, Kayla? And it was enjoyable, right? Yeah. Now, the bad part is for teachers and kids and drivers and such is they got to go back tomorrow. That's the bad news. You got to go back to school. You got to go back to work tomorrow. You've had to extend the weekend. The joy is over, right? Yes? The joy is not over. Because today we actually talk about joy. That's our topic for today. So having that introduction to joy, seeing just the weekend extended can bring us joy, let's just ask the question, reflect upon it if you will, what brings you joy? You don't have to shout out the answer, just start thinking about what brings you joy. Now as you start thinking about that question, what brings you joy, notice that your answer may depend upon things like this, what you like or what you dislike. Maybe even your age or your gender. For example, the teenagers, I asked the teenagers in our student Bible study time together earlier called Sunday School, what brings them joy? You might be surprised at the answers I got for the teenagers, what brings them joy during the Sunday School time. You know what the number one answer was for teenagers, what brings them joy? Huh? Sleep. Sleep was it. What brings them joy is sleep. The second most popular answer was video games, the new video game. And the third answer, Jackson, what was, oh, no, your answer was family. Yeah, Grace had the best answer of anybody. She said the answer was family. She enjoys her joy with her family. But it varies. Notice how it varies. depends on individual and age and things. Because I really figured that the students, as I asked them what brought them joy, I was expecting to hear a new cell phone. The Apple 15 is out, right? No one said they wanted it. No one said it would bring them joy. But for a lot of people, adults included, that new cell phone brings you joy. 
course, the video games was in there, things like that. I also expected for someone who's about to turn 16, Micah, that he would say, well, my driver's license or my first car is going to bring me joy. But that wasn't it either. But it is for a lot of us. I remember I was 16. Yeah, I had joy when I got my car. It was a hand-me-down, but I still had joy when I got my car. All right? So it depends. Black Friday shopping, I'm thinking, brought joy to a lot of women who found them bargains. No? Marcia's shaking her head no. Some men find joy shopping. Kathy's saying no, too. Sheila loves shopping. Did you know that? She can't stand it. So she didn't get any joy from going shopping at all. I also had joy during the time of the days off to go deer hunting. I like to do that. Of course, you know I find joy in racing. But I got to think even deeper about it, about joy. I got thinking about someone who has, as we can all relate to a little bit, a cancer patient. And now they probably have an immense amount of joy when they have their last chemotherapy treatment. And even the joy they have when someone tells them you're cancer-free. I got thinking about someone who just loves sports and how they have joy when their team wins a championship or they have a joy when they get an autograph or picture of their favorite athlete. For new parents, I think there's joy when they have their baby to be born or even older parents, more experienced parents, that when their baby's born, they have joy. But of course, if you're like me, you also have joy when the kids move out of the house. Yeah, they eventually do. But they always come back. So notice then, I mean, we've been talking about joy. It's a long introduction, but notice how your joy depends again on your likes, your circumstances, your age, your gender, and so forth. But we ask yourself, well, why? Why does it vary so much by individual? And the answer could be partly, well, the definition of joy, which could be described as this then, a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. I thought it was interesting, some of the synonyms that come for joy is like exaltation, rejoicing certainly, gladness, glee, exhilaration, elation, and bliss. All those words can also be associated with joy. But here's the thing. Notably, the world in which we live in defines joy for us most certainly. A common definition pertaining to the world about joy revolves around material possessions. And they'll tell you, the world seems to scream at you, if you want to have joy, the more you have, the more happy you will be, and the more joyful you will be in life. Accumulate all these things and go after them, and you'll receive joy and happiness. That's a really shallow definition of joy. And it's really far from the true definition of joy. Last week, the book that I was looking at called He Restores My Soul by Jennifer Kennedy Dean states that true joy is so Christ-centered that earthly success can neither add to it nor diminish it. In fact, true joy is impossible to define in work. And maybe it's a good distinction to make this morning because as mentioned, most people in the world today look at joy as being some sort of emotion or great delight or happiness caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying. 
But that really is not the definition we need to be thinking of when it comes to joy, because all that places emphasis back upon the world. So if all this talk about joy, and maybe some of the confusion seems to exist, let's just change the question slightly, because we ask, what brings you joy? And then rather than splitting hairs about the definition of joy, just let us dig deeper this morning and start to have our mind and heart to focus upon the source of joy. So let's change the question now to what is the source of joy in our lives? Now reflect upon that question. We turn to Nehemiah to help find the answer. And we're going to discover, as you might expect, certainly in church this morning, that the true source of joy is none other than what? The Lord. Yeah. Stand with me this morning as we do to read what's written in Nehemiah. We're going to turn to chapter 8. Hopefully you've already landed there by now. We're going to look in the most part of the first chapter in verses 1 through 12. We will skip a couple pertaining to just a large vocabulary of Hebrew names. But let's look in Nehemiah chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 1 and read through most of verse 12. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday. Notice, therefore, we'll just stop. My messages sometimes may get long, but I've never had to be six hours from morning till midday. Prepare yourself for today. From morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who can understand, all the ears of the people were attended to the book of the law. When Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. Now we've got some Hebrew names. Skip to verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. As he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Skip to verse 8. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that people understood the reading. Now verse 9, and Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the day, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy, do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that required to them. Oh, Father, we thank you certainly today for the reading of this word. And we want to take a portion of what we see here written in Nehemiah and begin to apply it to our lives and see how they had the source of joy and now how we also have the great source of joy given to us in our lives. And now how we can expand upon this text and see how 
in our lives do we live, through good or through bad, that we can have joy in all circumstances and all situations. So, Lord, let, this, let the text speak to us today. Let the Holy Spirit lead us and guide us and direct us now here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, before we begin to expand upon the text and apply like we typically do, allow us to review some information that is pertinent to the story about Nehemiah. Because Nehemiah, or the book of Nehemiah, records a time when Israel is coming back into their homeland after spending 70 years in exile. Now, Nehemiah is a cupbearer for King Artaxerxes. And he, le he learns then that his beloved city, Jerusalem, has been destroyed while they have been in the 70 years of exile. As he learns about the city being destroyed, he petitions for the king for permission to go from his position as a cupbearer from, from Babylon, where they were, into Jerusalem, his beloved city. He also, as he's standing before the king, asked for letters. Letters for, number one, safe passage as he travels from one place to another. And secondly, he asked for building materials. Well, the king grants the request, and so Nehemiah then takes an entourage with him to Jerusalem to begin rebuilding. And he completes the task in how many days, Micah? 52 days. The kids learned all about this a while back in their study of Nehemiah. So then in 52 days, the city is completed, or the walls thereof, and the Israelites begin to return home. Now, it's worth noting that, as mentioned, the Jews have returned from 70 years of foreign captivity in Babylon to Jerusalem. But while they were in Babylon, the Jewish people had, well, not been able to practice the religion in its entirety. In fact, for the most part, they were, didn't even have access to the law of God. For most of the captives who came back, whatever they knew of their faith came from their memory or the memory of other people who shared it with them. But by the end of the 70 years, they had nearly forgotten far more than they ever remembered about the will of God. Which is why, then we go back to the text, you can look in verses 5 through 6 or 5 through 7, and see why they seem to have an eagerness and maybe an appetite for the reading of the word. Look in verse 5. Notice as Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, what the people did. As he began to read, they stood. As we do, as we begin to read the Bible, the Word, we also stand in honor and recognition. The people stood, and look in verse 6, as they were reading, Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, people answered, Amen. Notice how they lifted up their hands and bowed their heads to the ground in honor and worship. So notice how they had an eagerness and appetite. They had been without it for so long. They had an eagerness and appetite to hear the Word of the Lord again. As they read it, they stood, they had his eagerness, they bowed, they worshipped. They had joy. But also notice, as we've expected, that as they returned to Jerusalem, it was just a great time to go back to the homeland where they had just a, a time of joy and jubilation. But they didn't come with the opposition. It wasn't just easy for them to go back to Jerusalem and just start rebuilding. They had some opposition, namely Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, was their opposition that confronted them when they began to rebuild. But with the help of God, they persevered. And the city is reestablished. 
So then for the Jewish exile, they begin to rebuild their home in the land of promise. And as they then reestablish their home, Nehemiah calls together the people and has Ezra conduct a public reading of God's law. Now look at verses 9 through 11. And note, as Ezra reads the law, the Israelites had different stages of reaction to the law. Notice when they heard the word of God, they were profoundly grieved. They wept. They were sorrowful. They, con they were convicted. The more they heard it, the more they realized just how far they had strayed away from the will of God. And their failure was evident. Maybe their guilt was obvious. And they felt it deeply. Hence, then, the weeping and the sorrow. Notice, well, the text even reveals a various stage of the reaction. I mean, first, again, they fell into repentant sorrow. Secondly, they began to praise and worship the Lord. Third, you're going to find later, we stopped in verse 12, you pick up the reading later in verse 13, you're going to find out they had a celebration, the Feast of Booths, which is commanded. And then look in verse 11, or verse 10, but all the result ultimately was great joy. Nehemiah told them, the joy of the Lord is your strength. In verse 12, they're supposed to make great rejoicing. So discover the joy given to them by the world. Now we'll stop there for a minute because we've had the explanation of what's happened to Nehemiah. And begin to have a slight application. Because have, ever, have you ever noticed that the same type of pattern can occur to us in our lives? We may have sorrow, or hope we have sorrow, from a particular sinful action, something we have engaged upon we knew we shouldn't have partaken into. We have sorrow from that, and we then hear the word of God, and we see how truly blessed we are, which then leads to an unparalleled joy in our lives. I mean, it tells us that hearing the word of God can and should lead to joy in our hearts. Now, in that regard, let us just also recognize this. That in the English Standard Version, which we particularly read from, the word joy is mentioned a total of 430 times, or a version of joy. Like, for example, rejoice or joyful. 430 times the Lord mentions in our Bible to be joyful, or rejoicing, or to have joy. Now, if you look how many times he says to be happy, your happiness is 10 occasions, only 10. But to be joyful, or to have rejoicing, it's been 430 times. And I look at that and I begin to question why so few times is maybe happiness 10 times perhaps listed, but joy or having joyful times or rejoicing 430 times. Why so many more? And part of the answer perhaps is that joy is lasting. Maybe happiness is temporary. But joy is lasting and it satisfies the heart in a unique and marvelous way. But as we think about how joy satisfies the heart and is maybe much more lasting than just a little bit of happiness, let's just ask is joy natural? I mean, maybe it should be, but perhaps it isn't. I mean, it's just natural. Is it natural for us to just be joyful and to have joy? Maybe it should be, but perhaps it isn't. 
But observe that joy becomes more natural, if you will. It's more natural when you are a child of the King, a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. It becomes more natural for us because Jesus gives us joy in our heart. Amen? Jesus gives us joy. I mean, think about how no power of positive thinking, books may tell you this, the world may tell you that, but no power of positive thinking can bring lasting joy. It just will run out for a while. Because what does bring us joy is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in us and characterizes the people of God. Joy is a characteristic of God's people found in his presence. Pastor Colin Smith, I believe, said, Christian joy flows from realizing our position in Christ, who you are in him, and what he has done for you. Which is why Paul can aptly say in Philippians 4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. So if it is not all natural for us to have joy in our inner being we see we can have joy with christ jesus spoke to the disciples john 15 11. he said these things i have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full so all that's saying is this and as believers we have the joy of the lord in our heart and our joy should be full upon each and every occasion both the good and the bad as believers we should have joy in our heart and we should have joy in each and every occasion in life, both the good and in the bad. But do we? Do we truly have joy in our heart? I mean, it's easy to be joyful when good things are happening to us, right? But do we really have joy in the midst of bad things, the sad, sorrow times of life? Because we should have joy in all occasions. So maybe the question now becomes for the time we have left over, how can we be joyous in both the good and the bad? How can we be joyous in all situations? How can we be joyous in all circumstances? And there's four things that maybe we can find today to help us be joyous in all occasions. And here they are. Number one, we can be joyous in all occasions, at all times, both bad or good. We recognize that God is in control. We can also be joyful when we recognize that God has a purpose and plan. Thirdly, when God loves you, and he just simply loves you. And then fourth, we'll expand upon a bit moment, that God will bring blessing to you despite your circumstances. Those four things can provide for us how we can have joy upon all occasions. Notice, if you will, the capital letters of each particular point. Control, C. Purpose, P. Love, L. And B for blessing. If you can leave here today, remember CPLB. Say it with me. CPLB. Control, purpose, love, and blessing. Then every circumstance you may encounter in life, in every event that happens to you, good or bad, you can have joy. Now let's look at them a little closer. God is in control. We can have joy because we know that God is in control. So the obvious question then is, are you allowing God to control your life? Because often, at times, if we're being honest, and we should be honest at all times, particularly in church, if we're honest, we are trying to maintain control ourselves. We want to be driving the bus, 
rather than sitting in a passenger seat. If that's where we are, let me just tell you, give Jesus a wheel. Just give it to him. Let him drive. Let him be in control. Now, recognize that's not easy to do because we seem to be control freaks. We want to be able to control situations and things ourselves. In fact, if you go home later and Google, how can I have control of my life? You're going to find many different things to tell you how you can get control. I Googled it last week. You're going to find things like this. Who is in control of your life? You're going to have a master plan for taking back control of your life. It gives you a step-by-step -step procedure, a master plan of how you can gain control of your life. Also dug deeper. I found this. Seven ways to take control of your life today. Well, I don't know what the difference is between seven and six, except one. Because the next article said six ways to take back control of your life. I don't understand. The next one I looked at, 12 ways to take control of your life in 2023. Okay, six, seven, 12. And then another one, eight ways to free your mind and take back control of your life. Six, seven, eight, 12. Which is it? I'm thinking, okay, all these links, all these articles exist online to tell you how to take control of your life. I didn't read any one of them, but I'm thinking to myself, dude, just give your life to God. Just let him control it for you. Just let him do it. You don't need six, 12, eight, I mean, whatever, just one, one, one way to have joy. Give your life to God. Let him control things. He is in control. But as I mentioned, it's one of the hardest things we do in life because we like to maintain some control. But just let it go, give the keys to God, and God will then take care of every facet of your life that you're trying to control. In fact, when you allow God to control your life, you will receive joy. True joy and happiness begins when you learn that God is in control. So you just let him be in control rather than trying to control the situation yourself. Winita Dillon's not here this morning. Winita Dillon has cancer. Many of our situations on our prayer list, many people have cancer. But Winita is one I'm thinking of this morning. Because Winita told me Thursday when she came for Thanksgiving, her cancer started to spread. It's the other parts of her body. Winita's already decided she's not taking any more chemotherapy. She's not doing any radiation. She's going to live out the rest of her days. But I use Winita as an example because she told me, I know God's in control. And because he is, I can have joy. That's the perfect situation, the perfect illustration. When things begin to happen to us, the good or bad, recognize that God is in control. When you recognize God is in control, you can still have joy through the good and the bad. The second way to recognize we can have joy and through all the situations in life is to recognize that God has a purpose and plan. Now, recognize how that point actually kind of linked to the first, that God is in control. But it also adds here that there's a purpose and plan in his grand design for creating all of us. I know, and perhaps you do too, people who are completely miserable because they feel they have no purpose in life. Do you know somebody like that? Perhaps it's you here this morning. Perhaps you, you're just miserable living because, and you don't have joy because you think, well, there's no purpose for me. 
And, and you just go from day to day in, in a state of misery, putting us facade, thinking, I, I just can't have joy because I just don't understand why I was born, what my purpose is. But God has a purpose and plan for each particular person. The recent studies have shown, maybe not our surprise, that very few people feel their sense of purpose. I looked up some things last week, and reports and studies do vary. The one particular survey is it, unbelievable, but one survey reported, listen, only 10% of people, 10% of people would say they know their life purpose. It means 90% have no idea what their purpose is in life. And of the 10% who said they did know their purpose and felt they knew what it was to be, only 5% say they are actually following their purpose on a regular basis. Isn't that amazing? 90% say they don't know their purpose. 10% say they do. Of the 10% that say they know their purpose, only 5% are going about fulfilling it. Again, I'll tell you how studies vary. Another study was more slightly optimistic reporting only 25% of American adults, more specifically, 25% of American adults report having a clear sense of purpose. It means three-fourths of us don't know our purpose. Now, while those numbers vary, both studies demonstrate that people do not understand or know their purpose in life. And that's sad. But then take that and compare that to someone who has positioned themselves, who know that they know, I mean, to position themselves to, to pursue God's purpose and plan. When you know, when you run across someone who knows and are pursuing God's will and purpose for them, to know that God is in control and they know that God's purpose and plan, they're going about fulfilling it. When you meet someone like that, every time you meet someone like that, they have perfect contentment. I mean, there's bliss and elation. There's just joy in their life knowing that they're in God's will. I mean, so maybe the point is that joyful people, if you want to be full of joy, joyful people just seem to know and have a realization and a conviction that God has a purpose and plan for them. And they go about fulfilling. That's the way we also can have joy in our life upon all occasions. Know that God's in control. Anyways, a purpose and plan for you. Find out what it is and go about living it fulfilling. And the third reason why we can always be joyful is, of course, God loves you. God loves you. I mean, who loves you more than God? People may tell you they love you more than God, but God loves you more than anyone. Nobody loves you more than God. Now, as we look at the actions of people in the world today, we easily see, it's not hard to identify people who just seemingly lack love and joy. And what a sad and sorrowful feeling it must be to not know that God loves you. I mean, many verses in the Bible reveal God's love for you. One of my personal favorites is Romans 5, 8. It says, but God shows his love for us in that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Or there's 1 John 4, 19, which says we love because God first loved us. Of course, John 3, 16, a lot of people's favorite. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 
I mean, a lot of the verses reveal God's love for us in Scripture. But it is a fact, as one commentary I was reading last week said, one of God's greatest acts of love for us was to send his son Jesus to the earth. Through the teachings and grace of Jesus, we feel God's love, receive forgiveness for our sins, and learn how to love the people around us. Simply worded, God gives us unconditional, everlasting, agape love. He just does. He loves us more than anyone around us. Unconditional. As you hear that, maybe you're also kind of ponder, maybe wonder, well, how big is God's love for us? How big is God's love for me? God's love for you and for me and for everyone in the world Everyone on this earth is bigger and taller and deeper than anything we've ever seen or anything we can think of. The psalmist declares in 108 verse 4, referring to God's love by saying, Your steadfast love, Lord, is great above the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. The love that God has for you should result in unparalleled joy. God loves you. Just knowing in life, anything that happens to you, that God loves you through it all. Anything that you do, God's still going to love you. That should bring us some sort of joy in our heart. But here's the thing that happens. Unfortunately, the prince of this world, Satan, he tries to steal your joy by telling you that God does not really love you. If God really loved you, why do those bad things happen to you? So, I mean, the enemy, the old devil, the great deceiver, the great accuser he is, in that particular role, he strives to snatch peace and joy from your soul. He works hard to discourage you by whispering lies into your spiritual ears. And maybe you even heard some of these lies before. Like, you're no good. Or God's not pleased with you, and he never will be. Or maybe the devil just calls you a spiritual loser. Or maybe he tells you, the great deceiver, that you have so many faults, so many weaknesses, you'll never be able to sex successfully live a Christian life. Or maybe he just tells you, you're never going to be able to please God. Or maybe he just whispers in your ear, you have screwed up so many times, he is not going to ever forgive you for this. Some of those things might sound familiar. Maybe you've had such thoughts. Have you ever believed those accusations? Because they result in despair. There's simply no joy. When you hear those words of the great deceiver, there's no joy in your heart when the prince of the world attacks you this way. And he will attack you. When you begin to have some joy in life, he will attack you. But don't believe the master of lies. I mean, Satan is an outright liar. And he comes to attack the truth that God loves you. And God really does love you. God really loves you. If you listen to Caleb or Christian music, you've probably heard this song before from Crowder called God Really Loves You or God Really Loves Us. A few of the lyrics go like this. I'm not going to sing it. I've got a friend, closer than a brother. There is no judgment. Oh, how he loves me. 
I've got a friend, and he is my strength. He is my portion. With me in the valley, with me in the fire, with me in the storm. God really loves us. God really loves us. God really does love you. Let his love for you bring you great joy in all circumstances. Praise and joy are the most powerful weapon against the devil and against the life of the flesh. Against the enemy, have praise, have joy. And finally, our fourth and final reason we can be joyful is God will bring blessing out of your circumstances. The verse that pops into my mind when I think about blessing out of our circumstances is, of course, Romans 8, 28, that we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. That particular truth is true on every level in our lives. There are you, if you look through Scripture, perhaps arguably again, it is not more evident than the first Peter. If you're familiar with Peter's first epistle, you know the persecution of the Christians, of the believers, was at its zenith. Early Christians back then had to face the torture. Great persecution, I pray we would never face. They had to face the torture and persecution of things like being fed to animals or being burned alive with fire and much more. I mean, it's just unimaginable things. I mean, truly horrible circumstances. But they held to the fact that God can and will bring blessing out of those circumstances. In 1 Peter chapter 4, in the unit labeled suffering as a Christian, Peter writes these words. He said, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. That can apply to us as much as it was to them. As though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and the God rest upon you. And Peter's writing some remarkable, encouraging words to the people to stay faithful in the midst of the evil. And God will bring a blessing from those circumstances then, and he still will today. Therefore, we can rejoice. And the words of encouragement that Peter writes to the people as they're experiencing all these different things of persecution, it just goes right along with what Paul wrote in Philippians 4.4. 4. We mentioned it earlier. To rejoice in the Lord again, I say rejoice. In fact, regarding the ability to rejoice in all circumstances, whether it be great persecution like what was happening in the early Christians, or anything that we happen, it's all there. We have the ability to rejoice. I mean, when your dad is diagnosed with cancer, like my father was back in 2001, you can still rejoice. It does not make sense to the world. But when you hear those words, your loved one has cancer, you can still rejoice. You can still have joy. When you learn late night that your child has broke curfew and you're involved in an accident and all you do really is mad and angry and you learn you're in the hospital and you got run to the hospital because they've been in an accident, you can still have joy in the midst of those circumstances. When your friend has a drug overdose or whatever happened to them, you can still have joy in the midst of any situation. Earlier this year, just shortly after school started, I learned 
that my best pastor friend, Mike Orell, had died. Mike was about my age, maybe a little bit less in age than I am. He was leading the church in Oklahoma. When I got the news that he had passed away, I mean, I immediately felt heart sorrow and didn't have joy. Especially think about his wife, Joni, just the two of them. Joni and Mike together, I mean, they were just uh, joyful people for the Lord all the time until I knew them. Mike helped me through a lot of situations. I helped Mike through his situations as well. We just had this camaraderie and this fellowship and this love for each other. So when I felt and when I heard that he had died, I mean, you think, where's the joy I can get from that? Selfishly, I was wondering, where's the joy? My best pastor friend just died. But then I think about Joey, his wife. What she must be thinking, what she must be feeling. How sorrowful for she must be. But Joni, Joni had joy. Joni could rejoice. And you ask yourself, well, how, how can you possibly rejoice when your husband or your spouse dies? unexpectedly. And that's what happened. He didn't have a sudden illness. It was just a sudden thing. It's just an event in life that just happened. One of those freak kind of things. I mean, he was at his church helping men put up a flagpole. And the flagpole fell back on him, pushing into the fence. And I guess his internal injuries from that made him pass away. So it wasn't like he was in ill health. I mean, he, he, he was living life to his fullest. But in the midst of all that happening, you say, where's the joy? And Joni, his wife, didn't rejoice and had joy. You say, well, how, how could she possibly, when you lose someone that close to you, how can you have the rejoicing? How can you have the joy? And it goes back to the fourth and final point, that you recognize that God will bring a blessing out of circumstances. Joni knew that. She knew that she could rejoice because God could use that, that particular moment. And use Mike's ministry and the two of them together, and they could bring great joy and happiness to other people. So when you realize, when you realize that God can bring a blessing in our circumstances, you can still think about how I can rejoice in the midst of a, a trial. And hardship is that. Because it takes a person who has the love and joy of God in his heart to realize the conviction that God can bring a blessing out of every circumstance that happens in our lives. It takes someone who understands what Nehemiah is saying in chapter 8, verse 10, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. There's going to be good and bad to happen to us in all aspects of life, but we can be joyful in every circumstance, every trial, every hardship, we can be joyful in the good times and the bad times because we know, number one, that God is in control. He has a purpose and plan for each of us. And we know that God loves us. And we know that God can bring a blessing out of your circumstances, whatever it may be. Before we close, I'm going to return to the question we started with. The question we started with was what brings you joy? We notice how it can change for every person in the room that what brings you joy can be different for every person. Also, the question we ask is, what are your source of joy? Listen, 
The answer is the same for both questions. What brings you joy? What is your source of joy? The answer is the same for both questions. It is only Jesus. What brings you joy? It is Jesus. What is your source of joy? It is Jesus. It's just that simple. But one more question before we quit. The question is this. Is your joy evident and contagious to others? Now, as you prepare to answer that, observe that people desire to be with someone who is joyful. I mean, who wants to be with someone who is grumpy and hateful and sour all the time? Nobody does. So again, is your joy evident and contagious to others? If you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, your joy should be very evident and extremely contagious. And it is. But Jesus, taking control, for realizing you have that purpose, for receiving his full love, and knowing that in all circumstances he can give you a blessing. Do you have joy this morning? Do you have the joy that Jesus is ready to pour into your heart? thought comes to mind for a final illustration of how we should be joyful, not only for Jesus, but to be joyful that we were once lost, but we were found. We can be joyful in knowing that we were once among the lost, but that we were found through Jesus. Back when Kayla was like five or six years old, we went to a water park in Florida. I don't remember exactly the water park we were at, even where we were at, all the details pertaining to the situation. But what I do remember most about the, the time that we were at that water park is fortunately, Sheila had told Kayla, Chase wasn't even born yet, just Kayla and Tyler, that if you somehow get lost, find someone of the same gender, find another woman, and just let her know that you're lost, your parents. Well, that's what happened. The story is, as I think Kayla, I'm mean, not, not, not Sheila, and maybe Tyler was on the water slide. It was my responsibility to be watching Kayla, and okay, I don't need that help. But as it seemed to be, I did something and was distracted, and Kayla wandered off. Kayla wandered off, and all of a sudden, then Sheila comes up to me when her and Tyler got off the water side and said, where's Kayla? I don't know. And so when you have lost one of your children, at a, like they're five or six years old, at a water park in Florida, way long away from your house, I mean, miles and miles away, you're going frantic. It's just completely chaotic. When you have all these different things racing through your head now, but does somebody grab her? Where does she go? Is she okay? All these different things are going through your mind, and you're looking desperately for the person you lost. And we didn't know which way to go or where to turn. But if we start to walk this particular direction, all of a sudden we see a lady who was with the water park walking Kayla toward us. And how fortunate we were then that she had been found. Bless Jesus. Every one of us has been among the lost. But we've all been found through Jesus. 
Jesus is the source. He is the key to having joy in our hearts. Jesus is the key to having joy in our life. I mean, it's a joy to be found. We were joyful for a few moments when we found Kayla. Later, we had to give her up again. But there's joy. When you've been among the lost, there's joy when you're found. I mean, wasn't it a joy, wasn't it a joy for you when you received Jesus in your heart? Yes. Once we receive the light from out of the darkness and have come to see Jesus, we have joy in our hearts that will last forever. We just have to be reminded of the joy that rests there. So today, be filled with joy. Have joy in your heart that Jesus is pouring there. Father, Lord, we thank you for this message today. We thank you for this truth that's given to us. We thank you about the reminder we received today to have joy in our heart. Recognize that true source of joy is only your son, Jesus. Lord, today I pray to all of us would just reflect upon that joy and the peace we can have through Jesus. He is the source of joy in our lives. So today, Lord, we just come before you grateful. We come before you blessed, knowing that we have received the joy we have come from the darkness into the light. We have been among the lost and found. And it's always through your son, Jesus. He provides all the joy we need in our lives. Let's fill our heart today with Jesus and have joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.